What does it mean to feel time? Hello and welcome to the Certain Uncertainty Podcast brought to you by Joe and John. Today we're going to have a little bit of fun talking about the perception of time, how we understand this basic metric for how our behaviors are navigated in life, how it changes large-scale societies when they think about different time scales, and how in the grand scheme there are essentially two different zones of mind that we can engage in of which one is called the finite mind and the other the infinite mind and we will talk in on that in a little bit but first and foremost just wanted to bring my boy joe in here and see how he's doing doing well doing well welcome back we're gonna have some interesting somewhat abstract conversations today but also try and get into some specific conceptions of time and how we go through these different levels and layers of perceiving time and what this means on an individualistic basis, but also looking more on a grand scheme, macroscopic view of the development of cultures, societies, and changes that happen and kind of the pace at which we observe those changes happening and then scale it back and to see what the grand plan actually looks like of, of how long it takes for different changes to implement and what that actually feels like and looks like in our in our day-to-day as well as culture. Yeah, right. And, and, and I'm going to pinpoint one of the different ideas there, which is feeling of time. And I think this is where we start. What does it mean to feel time? And I think this is a great point because in this process, we start to analyze really our perception of time and that depending on how we're feeling at a given moment in life, whatever the stimuli that are constantly around us in the environment, our perception of time does change subtly. And I won't tell you how it changed because it can be varied depending on the response of that stimuli. But when we really are asking the question, what is time is, what is the feeling of time? That is really the question here. And I think there's a couple of things we can jump in on. And I think really time from an individual perspective is relative to a couple of things. I think a big factor that we can kind of talk about is novelty, right? So basically the idea that the number of novel things, things that potentially make you uncomfortable, that does influence your your perception of time, your scale of time at a, at a pretty large scale. And, and I'll let you jump in on this because I think it's interesting. And, and depending on the novelty, it'll also change. Like when, I, when I'm thinking about, you know, my, my day-to-day work schedule, how does my day-to-day work schedule of time, my perception of time change? Is it relative to what I complete in that day's work? Is it relative to the number of new things that I do? Maybe it's some kind of shift in topic sector. The question really is, is why is it that some days I come out of work asking myself or saying, today felt like a long day? What, what, what does a short day feel like? And why does it feel short? That's a great point. And I think so many different people can relate to this kind of feeling, especially back when we were in school and you were in your least favorite class and you check the clock and the the minute hand moved backwards and you're like, I've checked this thing five different times and it's still 1032. And you're just looking and trying to wait and just feel that second by second pass as you're just trying to get through those, those classes, those moments, or even your whole workday and kind of looking at why when you when you approach a day and you say the week just flew by but every day felt so long and it's trying to figure out are we observing it more when we're paying attention to the length of uncomfort or discomfort and distress that we're going through that we're observing the moment by moment passing of how long that pain is taking like when you're doing a sustained pull-up or something right if you were to do a pull-up and hold that for a whole minute that would be one of the longest minutes you would feel 
or like holding your breath. Three minutes, two minutes seems like forever. But then if you're on the phone or scrolling through social media, oh my God, a whole hour's just passed by. And it's trying to find this balance of how much attention are you paying to your surroundings and your act, your brain activity or how much entertainment or pleasure are you receiving at what at what rate so how frequently are new stimuli that is entertaining you happening because people can be on instagram and tiktok for the length of an entire movie but an an entire movie feels like a movie you're like okay that was a full story cohesive beginning to end it felt like two and a half hours like interstellar that was a long movie whereas people can be on tiktok and they'll see 150 10 second clips or 30 second clips and be like this was a whole hour a whole hour and a half and understanding i think how you recognize the the rate of change of the entertainment or displeasure that you're feeling will impact your perception of time. Right, right. And, and so this is where it gets cool, cool because I mean, right, it's pretty clear that novelty plays a pretty big factor in understanding time. But what happens then when I give you so much novelty that you can't even comprehend the, 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 the mass of novelty? So I'll give you maybe, maybe you're, let's just say your, your person can, can comprehend about three novel stimuli at a time. We'll just say three. Good number, right? What happens if I give you a fourth? How does that change time? Is it now suddenly a collision where you're trying to have to pick between the novel stimuli of which one you actually want to observe? And in that process, you're also changing your perception of time because now you're making a selection consciously of which novel stimuli you would like to obtain. And I think it's very interesting because this is the world we live in. There is constantly new things that are coming at us and we have to selective about which ones we choose to engage with and how they're going to affect our understanding or observation or perception of time, whatever the hell you want to call it, right? And I think this is probably a cognitive vulnerability in humans because once you basically get someone used to a specific time scale, right, then you realize that they can only take a few novel stimuli at a time and you, you start to scale this up. And what happens if I give now we introduce another person to the to the scene and we give another set of novel stimuli to that person and they have to be selective about it. Is there ever a novel stimuli that isn't being seen by a person? Because everyone's choosing between three, like, right, that's our number, right? Three is like the baseline, right? But we give everyone four stimuli. Is there ever a novel stimuli that is just not actually being understood to then change how we're going through our time skills and so forth? And 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 the reason I think this is important because when you flood people with information, I think this is where people get lost in time and in itself. And they don't know what to think and they don't know what to process because their whole metric of time is not based on, you know, these three stimuli. It's the selective process of these novel stimuli. And it gets so challenging there. And I think on a large scale, this is this is probably something that that education maybe can fail at sometimes when they don't present enough. And kids get bored and then it just feels really slow in class. Exact opposite side, you can present too much, right? And there's this, there's this balance, there's this threshold where someone feels comfortable in their time scale. But what happens when you take a society, a huge set of individuals, and bombard them with a bunch of stimuli? How does that change the understanding of time on a society level? I think it, just, it makes it pass so much faster. And I think it's, it's this balance of distraction versus entertainment 
versus kind of just comprehensive agreement on something like my, my, one of my favorite analogies is the, like the sports analogy year, year long. There's always sports going on. There's football season, then there's basketball season, then there's baseball season, then there's hockey season. And that kind of cycles year after year after year. And if you get a little bit too used to that, now we have the Olympics, we have the winter Olympics, we have the summer Olympics, we have the world cup, we have the world series, we have these just cycles of entertainment gladiators that go out year after year, changing teams, mixing things up. And there's just so many layers and levels you can put on top of that. And I think why I bring this up is because it is, it is the ultimate kind of entertainment and distraction from, from things that we don't like doing. And I've often thought about how you can either convince yourself to accept these new stimuli when new things come into your life that may distract you or create novelty in the routine things that you have to do. Like say it's as simple as doing a task at work or in school or a set of homework that you just really don't wanna do. I've always tried to like do something different. And some people try that, I like working at coffee shops. I like going to a library. I like working with friends. And it's trying to collect these new stimuli doing the similar task that you have to do. So it's either more fun or it gets done faster. But what if you went even simpler? What if you just stood up? What if you just turned around? What if you did something abnormal? Not even just a little bit different, but you actually did it abnormal. What if you, I don't know, stood up and then sat on your chair backwards, like turn your chair around 180 degrees and then sit it and work on what you're doing. It will feel so novel to you to sit like that and so bizarre that you may actually pay more attention to what you're doing along with this novelty and it may go faster. That's just so interesting. Because at any time, we have the ability to change our perception of time. I could abstract, live a longer life, or at least it feels like a longer life. But, but here's the thing, though, right? Because this is, this is also a vulnerability in humans. If a human doesn't realize that they have this capacity, then you could basically put them in a time scale just by giving them so much novel stimuli, right? And, and artificially generate, you know, a normal flow of time for that individual. But in reality, they never took a step back to realize what novel stimuli was actually good for them. Because look, everyone's basing their metric of a good life based on how, how, how time feels. You know, you don't want to live necessarily too short or too long of a life. If it's too long of a life, it's in the word. It's not good. It's too long, right? Or too short, right? And so to take advantage of this vulnerability, you, you basically present these novel informations in restrict abnormal behavior like this in order to get these people feeling like they're comfortable in the current time domain that they're in. This, I think, is where we kind of jump into a finite mindset, though, right? Because I'm basically happy with all the stimuli that's going to come into my life, and I'm not really caring about the ones that I didn't select, right? The, the novel stimuli that I didn't select, I don't really care because my, my pacing of time feels right. It feels good. Who cares if there's all this other crazy stuff going on, right? But it's important because people can artificially generate content now and give you stimuli. They can say, right, we have three stimuli that we can process. I have no idea what it actually is, but let's just say three because it's a good number, right? And if I basically artificially generate three stimuli, I can, I can artificially generate that your sense of time is normal, right? When in reality, if I had never presented any, any content at all, you would have taken three other stimuli that I didn't produce, right? And then that would have basically kind of 
set you in your capacity limit for your cognitive span. But by now replacing what used to be, what, what would have happened with some of my own things, I can basically give them information and make it feel normal, right? I can give them the most controversial bullshit information and they think it's normal because their tense of time is not messed up. And I mean, this could be, you know, a complete, complete theory here that I'm, I'm suggesting, but the, the real idea is why, why is it, I think that, that people feel, I guess, lost? What happens, right? That's the question that I'm trying to answer right now. I think it's, I think it's a lack of structure, honestly, because when I think about the periods of my own life that have gone in, in past and different feelings of time scales, I feel like when there is structure, it goes much slower. It feels and perceived much slower as opposed to when there's no, no structure and it's much more free flowing and free forming, it goes much faster. And I think on the large scale of like quarters and months of the year, it can, it can go by in a blink. I think most people are very shocked that it's already the end of August and we're already nearing 2022 when so many people have this sentiment that it should be, you know, early 2021. Right. And I think when there's, when there's inherent structures put in place that require you to recognize recurring activities or cycles of your life that you go through on a, a greater than daily basis. So say every three months, there is something that you have to accomplish by the end of that or look forward to, or even on the day-to-day -day basis where there are things and responsibilities that you do every single day and allocating that time in your mind, projecting that forward into the future, knowing that tomorrow I already have that aspect of my day. Those hours are dedicated to something. They're not free flowing. Like tomorrow is not completely unpredictable. I know what tomorrow will look like, what hours I have available, what are hours I have free. And that's not to say like type A versus type B where I have everything planned out. It's not like that, but more so I know what flexibilities will exist to let my brain roam throughout the week. I know what availabilities I have. I know what, what mental time real estate I give my brain this week in that, that feeling of, okay, I've accomplished these things, which took an hour and a half, two hours. And I felt those two hours. It felt like two hours passing by and now I'm free and I'm not just going to mindlessly you know, pace around, but maybe, maybe just give my brain time to relax and do nothing. No phones, no books, no computers, just sit there and do nothing for 30 minutes. And that will probably feel like a really long 30 minutes before you're like, I need to do something right now. This is not comfortable. My brain is wanting stimuli. Like, where is it? I'm so used to having stimuli all the time. And now I'm sitting here doing nothing. What do we do? Yes. And, and so I'm, I'm glad you, you kind of took me a step back. So, I mean, this is good. I think I was getting ahead of myself, but I'm glad you brought in the idea of structure because what I was getting at is that you can put in structure into an individual's life, a structure that they did not create for themselves. Right. And if they never really have the absence of some kind of stimuli that, that 30 minutes of time where they're opening up their cognitive bandwidth, right they'll follow whatever structure you give them so long as their perception of time feels normal. And, and this is where it gets really dangerous, right? Because you can self-impose structures into individuals and say, well, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like things are moving, things are good, right? And that's how we kind of judge things, whether or not things are getting done, whether or not things are, are changing, you know, at the relative rate that you can comprehend. And this, this, is, where, this is where it gets scary because 
What happens if I give you structures of thought that are only concerned with making you feel the hedonistic pleasure, right? And this is what I do for an entire society. I tell you that, hey, if you do these three things, right, we're going back to only three stimuli at a time, uh, and it's probably more in reality, but I'll give you these three stimuli and I'll, I'll make sure that it feels good to do them. And it's a structure that's habitual that you'll get comfortable with, that'll feel normal, right? And in and of itself. But you did not select the structure is what I'm getting at. The structure itself was some kind of medium of content that that came into your, your frontal cortex or whatever, and you're suddenly aware of it now. And this is what I mean by finite mind. If I give you a structure that is only concerned with very simple, short-term hedonistic pleasures, you can go through your whole life and that's all you'll do because your perception of time doesn't feel wacky. It's when our perception of time, it's when we feel like time is going too slow or too long that we start to make actual changes, that we start to be selective about what we choose, right? But if I put you into a mindset where life is always constantly going too fast, you'll never have a second to take a step back and be like, oh shit. I forgot to select a stimuli that I wanted to choose. My, my flow of time has just been moving. And, and, and again, I'm trying to draw this allusion to really how we are in society with our current time. When we are in a time where there's internet, there's global, like global communication at huge scales and that people can basically generate content from wherever in the world. And there's an endless amount of stimuli that you can subject yourself. And the second you put yourself into the structure of accepting content from this global internet communication platform, you get into a very scary spot. You can do this correctly. You can be selective, but it becomes very challenging because once, once, once you're not selecting anymore, then time seems really slow. Your cognitive bandwidth's open. You're like, wait a second. No, no, no. Something's not right. I feel bored, right? And so then you have to go gravitate towards back to the informational mediums and grab something that you can just put your mind on. But what that something is, is very important, right? And I think that's what I want to capitalize with this, right? That's, that's yeah. what I've been trying to build up, but I wasn't very clear. And this is, this is I think, uh, a good funnel, but. It is so interesting. And I think it's almost like a, a muscle in your brain, like what we call the attention span and how people approach how you focus and how long you can sit down and read a book without having your mind start to wander. Like it is essentially a muscle which has so many layers within it. And I think either good or bad, when you are really enjoying something like living in the moment versus really unhappy with something and feeling that moment are when it it, it polarizes. Those are the ends. Like you feel it the most. It will go slower when you are really unhappy and really having to suffer through it as opposed to when you're extremely happy and really enjoying it. And you think back in like your favorite moments and how like that summer seemed to last forever. Right. Or like anything that you really enjoy doing it, it's stretched out. You remember those details. Whereas when you're kind of just coasting with it, when your brain doesn't really have to try very hard and your attention doesn't really have to turn on to actually do something, your brain goes kind of on autopilot. You're just coasting through this, this environment. There are no real environmental or even physiological stimuli happening within you to make you feel something, to make you want to move something, to make you want to activate something. And almost to a primal level, like our, our, our base development as, as homo sapiens, why is this important? Like, why is this perception of time even existing in our, in our brain? Because I don't think a fish has a perception of time. I mean, there's no way for us to really know that. But when you think of the development of I our species, like, do. it's just 
a different time scale entirely. I mean, if you just look at the lifespan of these creatures, you'll you'll come to another correlation. It's so small. Right. Right. But the thing is though, when it comes to getting into these autopilot modes, what, what's happening when you're in autopilot is of the three stimuli you can take in, all of which are filled, right? And if and if they're consistent stimuli, right, they'll never go away. And so you'll constantly be gravitating. Let's just say it's Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok, right? Those are your three stimuli. And so long as those stimuli are constantly generating new ones, stimuli to within those mediums to constantly dome and take up your cognitive bandwidth, you'll never have time to move into different types of cognitive spans of thinking as well. And again, this, this, this comes back to our understanding of time because it feels normal. It feels like it's right because your sense of time is right. And this is why it's, it's really, really tough. And this is, I think, where, where people fail to develop passions. Passions are a form of, of consistent stimuli, right? It's one of the three slots. And so if you, if you basically have all your three slots constantly filled and you don't have a passion, you will never get a passion, right? This is where people feel lost all of a sudden. And I think this is really the big, big challenge is, okay, how do I unplug, literally unplug one of these stimuli? And it's tough, but the simple answer is stop absorbing, right? And figure out what is your time scale when there is absolutely an absence of nothing, right? And this is what this is kind of, I think, the, the, the purpose of meditation is to kind of distance yourself from the stimuli that you are consistently consuming and to just be aware of all of the stimuli that surround you and what things you can grapple on and actually hang on to, right? But the thing is, when you have these consistent mediums, right, going back to the TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram example person, these, these things here are, are finite in of themselves because you get the rewards in these stimuli every few seconds, right? Whenever you look at an Instagram post, you get a, you get a bump of dopamine or whatever. It's a, it's a hot chick, right? You're a dude, boom, dopamine right there, right? It's, it's easy, right? And so you never really think about, well, what is this consistency of the stimuli actually accomplishing on a larger scale? And, and, it's probably detrimental, honestly, for, for the greater productivity and accomplishments that you as a human being need to accomplish. It's, it's probably really bad. And I, it makes me think of this mindset that I kind of gave myself, which is my consumption to production ratio, where I definitely have gone through periods where I'm only really consuming things, where whether it be podcasts or videos or books or YouTube lectures, whatever it may be, I was like, I've really only consumed information. I haven't really produced anything with this and it, and it made me want to write about it or talk about it or build something. And I went into this more creative time period where all I wanted to do was, was draw and paint and build things on, on computers and stuff like that. And it, it got me on this, this train, what you just said, thinking where, where we have this limited number of stimuli that we can be perceiving without it impacting the the rest of our capabilities. And I think that's really interesting. And it made me start to think about if you had to learn something or hold a conversation while you're having ice water poured on you, where you have these different stimuli capabilities, whether it be environmental, physiological, emotional, cognitive, you have these different receptors for stimuli. So if you're in a sauna and you're trying to read a book, or if you're in one of those, uh, Ferris wheel festival spinning rides where it spins really fast and you feel yourself get pressed up against the wall. Try doing that with cold water 
and have a conversation with someone right. with cohesive thoughts that you're, you're overloaded with stimuli. You can't learn something with ice water being poured on you. And I think this is what like to, to a small tangent, like the Navy SEALs go through when they're, when they're physiologically trying to break people down and understand this core drive. They spray them with cold water. They're sleep deprived. They're exhausted physically. And then they have to accomplish a mental task as a team. It's so cool. And, and this is how you disrupt their normal cadence of, of content absorption. You basically give them so much stimuli that they're like, okay, I got to unplug everything because this is way too much for me to handle right now. That cold water example, I mean, fear in general is an all encompassing stimuli, right? And, and fear is often used as a tactic to unplug and then replug things. And so that you are then, you know, if I subject you to fear, right, I basically unplug whatever you're thinking about and then I insert new ones. That's the opportunity that I have. And obviously if the person who's giving the fear can't be the same one giving the new structures into it because they're going to be scared, right? Or, or it can be forceful, which is all obviously bad. But this is where it gets really problematic in that people that are only only really considering the, the finite short-term stimuli that comes to completion, they'll never realize that other people might be playing the infinite game, which is really just how can I basically take a stimuli that I know will never exit my brain. I'm going to, I'm going to basically have a consistent form of stimuli. Sometimes it's a passion, right? That I was saying before, maybe you have a really, really large ambition and you're going to work your entire life to get through it. And it won't come to a, you know, a, a full, full finish. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of an infinite, infinite mindset is, is to realize that there's going to be some kind of person after you, that's going to carry on your passion. And at least that's the hope, right? And, and that's a whole different type of game and mindset. That's, that's, that's a game where you control the flow of your own time. And that's where it really comes down to is that you need you need these consistent stimuli that you've chosen. And it's so tough, especially today, because there's so much. I think it's, it's almost anxiety provoking for so many people to have this, this feeling of analysis paralysis and everything that they have to do and all these things that they have to think about. And you're getting told to read all these books and travel to all these places and try all these restaurants and develop your career and your friends and then have kids. There's, there's literally an overload of stimuli in, in the environment that we're around. And I think developing the skill or at least reflect and do some introspective thinking and development about where you want to guide these stimuli that come into your life. You cannot be an open sponge that just accepts anything that comes into this pathway. You, you really need to guide this capability to take things that come in, whether it be stimuli from people or careers or the environment and understand how you use that process it and what you, what you're trying to accomplish with it, or even if it's relevant. And I think at the most base level example, road rage, when people are just driving to work or driving to the grocery store and there's traffic, we all have to deal with traffic. It's like taxes. It's just going to be there. No one likes it, but you have to do it. But then you see these people that are just unbelievably aggravated. They're flipping people off. They're rolling down their window. They're throwing drinks. They're getting upset. And it just makes me think like, you could get mad back. You could do this bull, like butting heads aggression, but I'm like, this is not what's causing you to be that upset. If we were just two strangers walking by each other, that wouldn't happen. And I think it's it's the outlet that people feel in this occupied mindset of driving a car with the destination in mind. And any pertur perturbance that comes into that field brings out this anxiety, anxious feelings that people have and aggravation that they can't release 
everywhere else. A lack of control. Probably. Right. And I think the the road rage is, as you said, it probably comes from a different place. I think the people that have lots of road rage probably also have a bunch of stimuli in their slots that they didn't choose. And that's the scary part is, well, who chose them? Who chose the stimuli? Someone else. Someone else has chosen 90% of the stimuli that you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and That's crazy. And it's very nuts because what game are they playing, right? And, and that's where, where we start to see really, I mean, I'm just going to go for the, the, big, the big jump here, which is into society on large scale. You know, we have all these individuals and what happens if you just constantly spam their slots? They don't have any cognitive bandwidth. Right. And so they're, they're constantly just fiddling around with some, some random crap on, on whatever that, that is being produced in front of their face. And I think this is true of the American media and probably, you know, different mediums that are coming in internationally as well that are trying to spam any, any type of country just so that they can focus on more undercover ops or whatever the hell it is. So they can focus on more infrastructural development where people can't see it. I mean, we're on, we're absolutely in a culture of headline dominant entertainment or not even entertainment of, of stimuli. Everything is a headline dominant event where it's the loudest, brightest, most emotionally driving thing that you could possibly give someone to force, force them to become involved with that situation where you're seeing things that are happening across the world on the other side of the country, not even near you, but you are forced to think about it, to worry about it, to care about it, to want to make a difference about it. And now you've gone through your entire day. You haven't even taken care of yourself. You haven't even paid attention to yourself. There's things that you wanted to do. You didn't get done. There's things you had to do that you're procrastinating on, but you're worried about the stuff happening in, in Florida. You're worried about the stuff happening in South America which is not to say it's not important. It's not unimportant. It's absolutely important. But are you doing something about it? Are you actively doing something about it? No, you're worried about it. You'll never meet those people. You'll never talk to them. You might never, you might never even help them. But you also didn't help yourself today. It's hilarious because this is often the trap that I think a lot of people find themselves without even getting into the politics, but in politics. Absolutely. I think this is the trap that, that, that is basically created to at least shift awareness. And I think that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to capitalize on with this, this vulnerability that we have. We have the power now to at least shift awareness to a degree that, that some dude can basically be doing a whole bunch of undercover stuff without you ever noting in plain sight because your cognitive bandwidth is taken up. And, and this is where it comes back to it. It's like, okay, well, how do you just disrupt the mind? How do you unplug for a second? Because it can be tough. You're in these habitual mechanisms where you're constantly taking in the same stimuli every day. And as humans, we're habitual creatures. And so it's just very normal because we feel that our time isn't being changed at all. And so how, how then can we even have the awareness that this is even a problem, right? And by that, by the point when we, when we realize that it is a problem, it's, it's usually pretty late in the process. I mean, we're all in on it. Yeah. We're all in on it, yeah. which is the craziest part. All, all of the, the, the rigid specified rules that we're required to follow. And then all of the unspecified norms and, and habitual things that everyone, everyone does. Essentially, we're all in agreement. And anytime we see someone do something a little bit differently, they're outside of the norm. They dress differently or they act differently or they don't talk about the things, the same things that most people talk about. It's, it's, 
unique is one way to describe it, but also surprisingly and almost jarring sometimes when you see people that don't agree or talk about anything that people are used to. It's, it's a shock. People are like, whoa, okay. And now your attention slows down a little bit. That moment lasts a little longer where this novel person or stimuli, whatever, wherever we're trying to call it, comes in and starts giving us something that we're not used to. And from that, I think you could apply it to anything, literally anything. If you want your brain to change, if you want your perception of time to change, you have to make the minute by minute things that you do different. Like it can't be the same thing. If you do the exact same routine every single day, does, do you even have to try? Does your brain even have to try? I think they've actually done studies about that where people who have too much of a consistent routine day after day after day are more likely to develop Alzheimer's. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, you're not engaging any neuroplasticity. I think this is the key here. Uh, neuroplasticity, I think, is a huge relationship to time as well. I mean, neuroplasticity at a basic level is just developing new connections, making new associations from point A to point B in the brain. Maybe it's actually point A to point Z. Who knows, right? It's just new associations, and they're very, very minute and subtle variations in associations there. And when you're engaging with neuroplasticity, you're basically engaging with uncomfortable feelings. You're, you're, you're engaging with a certain uncertainty. As, as we call it on our podcast. And, and, and I think this is where it really comes down to why this podcast is named this is because we are certain about uncertainty coming into our lives and changing our understanding of time. And I think that is the key to really understanding and giving yourself control in what you choose to do in your life. And I think that's, that's, that's very, very important. Absolutely. I think paying attention to why you are the way you are, how you feel, not just about happiness or sadness or accomplishment going through the day, but actually taking the, the time to reflect on what the day felt like. And I think one of the base level practices people encourage you to do is to journal about it. Have a daily journal. You can go through what things made you feel a certain way, what you even did that day. Do a one pager where you just recap what you did during the day, write down how different events made you feel, write down what you were excited about, write down what was really challenging. And I think having that, that practice of a, a mental to physical interpretation of, of your life, you're literally writing your own life story in a journal, which is ridiculous to even conceive of. Think about at the end of your life, when you look back, having a written record of your own life, your own autobiography, I don't know who wouldn't want that. But I think some people also might be afraid to do that, to write what they're going through, or even to, to put to paper what they're afraid of. Well, it might make them realize that they were being controlled by fear. And that well, is extremely scary, right? And it's tough. It's tough. When, when do you find that you are being controlled by fear? Look at your stimuli. Look at your slots. What's open, right? And, and understand why time feels a specific way. And that's where I really want to come down to is why does time feel normal to you now? What is making it feel normal? Is it because you had a, had a standard breakfast? Is it because you did some work task that you normally do? Right? These are, these are factors. But, but what is this work task? What is the quality? What is the nature of the tasks that you're doing? What's the quality of the breakfast? 
because then you can find yourself becoming just continually, you know, more, more obese, right? Because you're continually eating the, the same consistent stuff and you're not really thinking because your, your time skills not really moving or changing. You're, you're eating the same things, doing the same things over and over again, but you're not looking at the quality of the stimuli in and of itself. And that's the toughest part. You have to be interpretive with the stimuli that you consume. And when I just give you so much, it's tough. I can't make an interpretation about every stimuli. I have no idea what the risk rewards are for each of these different stimuli. And at sometimes you have to make a guess. You have to make an assumption. And this is, this is where, where the fear becomes very easy. Oh, you don't know what to do? Do this. Why? Because I said so. I think, if, I think a good, good practice or example that you could try and give to someone or anyone who wasn't sure if what they were doing with their time was making them feel satisfied with it. If they weren't sure whether or not they were satisfied or unsatisfied with their time or even the things that they do individually, go tell your best friend all the things that you did. And then if you feel guilty or ashamed or upset of talking about and verbalizing the, all the things you do to spend, to, to spend on your time or your money or whatever it is, do you think you'd feel guilty about it or... I'm not saying accept other people's judgment. I don't think you should really, really care that much about what the majority of people, at least that you don't know, people that you know and that are friends with, friends with and you're close with, who you have a mutual respect and understanding, they usually want the best for you. So if you were to tell them something that I did this and they, and they respond to you and say, you know, maybe you could do this differently or try this, it, it would be a good sounding board to understand how are you feeling about the way you spend your time? And I think that's that's the most important part of it is yeah, having those conversations with yourself or other or someone else too. Right. And I don't even know if we want to jump into seeing how how this this effect scales onto a big society because I think that's a conversation in and of itself. And I think at a level, I mean, we're we're already closing at forty minutes here, and I want to really emphasize this idea of of understanding your own time before you start to figure out how do other people perceive time. Because that's the key. If you don't understand your own sense of time, you're never going to be able to figure out how you can take advantage or use effectively to help others and, and understand their sense of time. Because that's, that's the key here. It's all about how time is changing for you. Your sense of normalcy, your sense of novelty all comes from your sense of time. And that's, I think, the, the boiling plate metric. That's where it starts, right? That's where all the new, new feelings come from. It's when you start perceiving time. So exactly, exactly. I think you, you concluded it so well. Enjoy your life. Don't let it go too fast. Yes. And, and ask how time feels. That's, that's the bottom line. That's it. Thanks everyone.